From WXXI News, this is Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Our connection this hour is made in my nightmares. I admit, I need a kind of an intervention. I've become a kind of curmudgeon about artificial intelligence or AI. I probably read too much about dystopian futures, about machines run amok, about technologists who create AI but soon lose the ability to understand what it's doing or why. Heck, an AI chat program recently tried to convince a New York Times writer to leave his wife. Now, maybe you think I'm mischaracterizing what happened. Maybe these AI chat programs we're hearing a lot about really are just predictive text collators. Maybe it's just a sophisticated way of cataloging what's already been written and responding to prompts and cranking out new-ish material. Maybe I should have had an AI. Why did we not have the AI chatbots write this intro? I actually wrote this intro. It just occurred to me. That's a waste of my time. Uh, but, look, I don't think there's really an intelligent being that wants New York Times writer Kevin Roos to dump his wife. Not intelligent in the way we imagine the word anyway, but maybe we need to expand our definition of intelligence. And I might be overlooking all the good things AI can do for us. I am certainly excited to see how AI can improve the field of medicine. I'm much less excited about the impact of AI on art, for example, or jobs or lots of things, but it might already be too late to stop it. Former Google brain leader and Baidu chief scientist Andrew Ng told ZDNet, quote, lots of industries go through this pattern of winter, 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 and then an eternal spring. And we may now be in the eternal spring of AI, end quote. So look, if AI is eventually going to turn us all into paperclips, that will be a bummer. Until then, I'm going to try to find the positive aspects of new tech. Today's hour will be that kind of intervention, and I've invited a couple of people who I think are much smarter than I am, but they are genuinely optimistic about what AI can do for the future, and I will welcome them now. First of all, welcome back to the program, Aaron Gordon, founder and CEO of Optic Sky Productions and co-founder and COO of Synapse Virtual Production. That's the new part, I think, Aaron. Is that new? That is the new part, uh, yep. Well, what, what, is, uh, what is Synapse going to be doing? Um, so we got involved in a really cool collaboration out in L.A. Um, to start building out virtual production studios. So the way like shows like The Mandalorian were shot, where you have the giant LED studio, instead of using green screen, um, we're starting to build out and service studios like that around the country. I've seen some of Aaron's team and what they do, and it really is amazing. And we've had a wonderful conversation in the past. I'm grateful that you're here. Thank you for taking the time to be here. Oh, thanks for having me. And Jeff Knauss is here. Jeff is an entrepreneur an angel investor, a restaurateur, a former colleague in a past life. It's nice to see you back here. Thank oh, you for being here. That's been the highlight of my week is looking forward to seeing you again, my friend. Well, it's nice to have both of you in studio and to kind of talk me down a bit. Although I confess that in the minutes leading up to this program, both of you had me starting to wonder if we're already in an alien simulation. So... Great job, guys! You've really, you've really nailed it. That. Really, really set the bar high. <laughs> and no, it actually, it, it kind of struck me that, like, even if we are in a simulation, it doesn't, it kind of doesn't bother you, Jeff. Yeah, it feels like I think my philosophy in the world. First of all, I am an optimist. I'm an eternal optimist, but I'm a pragmatic optimist. Meaning, I what do take, you mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. So what I mean by that is everything happens, right? And I think the only way to kind of synthesize that information and see the things that happen to react to it is to say, I can either take this as a good thing or a bad thing. And so my tendency is to say, well, this happened and I'm going to take this as an opportunity. I'm going to take this as an optimistic, I'm going to look at this in an optimistic way, but I'm also going to be pragmatic in the way that like, how can I realistically take something that um, maybe 
wouldn't be seen as good or maybe isn't great, but turn it into an optimist. So I, I really like, like to put a lot of pragmatism behind the optimism. And when we talk about things like this, um, I I think AI, AI is inevitable. What's happening is inevitable. And I believe that the wheels of progression and forward movement are going to get faster. And so we can either take that and say, I'm scared of it, go away, put my head down into it and live in a shelter, which some people will do and that's okay. Um, I happen to think like there's also going to be a lot of great opportunities that come out of that and how can we take advantage of them? Okay, fair enough here. Um, but you, you dodged the original question was, <laughs> if we're in a simulation, you're going to just be optimistic about that too. Uh, you know, I think the, the most, uh, the easiest way to explain it is the Matrix, right? Like if we go back to 1998, whenever that film came out, um, there was a character in the Matrix that was like, look, I want to eat steak and enjoy it. And I realize this is all a simulation, but what can I do about it, right? Um, I think that if the simulation theory is real, meaning we're all living in a simulation um, that's been designed by some outside programming, what can you do? Like, this is the life we live. I still love my children. I still love my wife. I'm still hanging out with some two cool guys, and I'm enjoy. My body feels like I'm enjoying it. So let's let's go with it. Aaron, do you agree with that? Yeah, I'd actually even add to that um, from the standpoint of like, if you really kind of consider simulation theory and, and where AI is going, right, at the complexity and the speed at which it's moving, it's not like a single layer theory, right? Like the idea is that we're in a simulation, and I think people's first reaction is to go like, "What? That's crazy," um, you know we there's so much more and and my argument would be like okay for just a second pretend you are in a simulation everything from spiritualism to all the laws of gravity and everything like that is part of that simulation even if you found some matrix style way of breaking through the simulation technically that next thing you the layer you break through to is also simulation so you know like technically speaking it's kind of an exponential theory where um if we in 50 years can create our own kind of earth simulation um and that ai evolves in an earth simulation you just kind of you know, goes and goes and goes from there. In other words, we're not going to have a Truman Show moment where he's sailing the boat and it hits the the edge of uh, the massive television set that's been built and he goes through a door and he realizes everything and they just tell him. We're, we're probably not going to break through if this is a simulation and have a moment where we're told, way to go, guys, like you cracked the code here. It, well, if we do, my argument, I guess, would be that um, it will just need to happen again and again and every time you're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> or a bigger set bigger. Uh, yeah whatever it is um, okay well I didn't expect to go there first but anyway we, we can circle back there for listeners everything else is easy now <laughs> yeah right and you know sometimes people tell tell me that you know I, we, I was listening to your show and I didn't want to stop driving I was listening to the car I think the people who are driving listening to the show are you're you're risking wrecking them to this so let's go I hope to, not let's, go let's to not do that Let, let's keep start, driving let's start simpler here um because there's a number of threads that I do want to pull on this hour, including the inevitable nature that Jeff talks about. I view it as inevitable and kind of undemocratic, but that's sort of the nature of tech as smarter people than, than me, the Sean Illings of the world have written about. So we're going to come back to that. But I, let's just start real basic. What about AI excites you, Aaron? That's a great question. I, I think um, there's a few things that excite me about it. And I think, you know, I, I'm a, a content creator and I'm a creative, right? And I think at every turn um, with the way the world is going right now, I think a lot of people are afraid of AI from the standpoint of you look at like Mid Journey and some of the um, programs out there that help generate art and they go, okay, but is it really human generated art at that point? 
But I also compare it to, um, you know, having a, when an iPod came out and the resurgence of vinyl. And I think like there's, you know, people don't collect iPods, they collect vinyl prints. And I think like I look at it as it's opening up new doors to be able to democratize content creation and to help actually those who are already pushing the limits of content creation create even better content and and do it in new ways and new pipelines and new ideas that we couldn't even fathom before at speeds we've never seen before. And so I think like while you have that happening, you're also going to have plenty of people who, when we think about classic art galleries, right, I think they're going to go up in value. I think that the, the people are going to actually value handmade art more and that's, you know, that collection will never stop happening and that appreciation, if anything, will just grow. And so I think, you know, content creation all around, you know, uh, we look at where movies are today and we look at where they were 100 years ago, the engagement level and the the attention, the detail, the ability to create, you know, I, some people would argue, of course, like, you know, it's all about the story and I would too. That's my whole job. But from a quality level and from an ideation level, like the things that we can even imagine now that are possible weren't possible in the movies a hundred years ago. You couldn't you couldn't execute on that idea, and so I'm really excited about it from that standpoint. And I'm also excited about it from the standpoint, you know, for similar principles that right now, and and we've seen this in the pandemic. You know, people are always afraid of their job being taken. That's like the first place they go to. But I think what we find more and more as time goes on is that some things aren't the best use of our time. And I I think like what, if people really started thinking about how much more valuable they can make their time. When technology really starts to help them, you know, create and think certain things or, 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 you know, just evolve certain processes that they have, you might go, wait a minute, what was a 40-hour week for me is now 20 hours. I'm either evolving and trying something new in my career or I'm actually getting time back with my family. And I think there's like a lot of different ways to look at it in that standpoint too. Jeff, what excites you the most about AI? So I, I think that's Aaron just gave a great example of pragmatic, pragmatic optimism. He's a content creator, but he's excited about the like I've seen a lot of people online saying, you know, they're looking at Dolly and Midjourney and these these platforms and ChatGPT that can, you know, write really red content and create images from text and all these uh, all these things that are scary for some folks. But for Aaron, it's an exciting opportunity. Um, so I just wanted to touch on that point for me. Uh, you know, I think about humanity and I think about, you know, you talked about medicine. Um, right now, one of the challenges for third world countries is getting doctors to come into those countries and, and provide healthcare. Um, being able to provide something like an AI, you know, some kind of AI bot that can answer basic medical questions uh, can significantly change the landscape for people that have, you know, worse access to healthcare. Um, a really specific example. The the other side of the coin is like I, I don't feel like I can talk about my optimism without saying at the same time, being a pragmatist, that for everything I talk about, there's a downside too. So I'll give you a very specific example. Totally. My my wife is from Finland. We met when in France, and her whole family. Her she got three sisters. She got a brother. Her mom and dad are still around. Grandma. Um, so we go to visit there every year. One thing I'm very excited about with AI is, and one of the first applications, is instant translation. I can't talk to her grandmother because she doesn't speak English and I don't speak Finnish. And so being able to have, and the, the, the awesome part about AI is that it's instant translation with my voice. So it sounds like me. So I keep my personality, I keep my humor, I keep all those things that make me me through my voice and can represent that by speaking to her grandmother, which in the same way, now I can actually get to know her in a way that I would have never been able to with AI before. Obviously, conversely, 
um, deep fake technology and and replicating someone's voice, there's a really bad downside for that. And I was just reading an article about this this idea around uh, reality apathy and how you've seen it with you know some of the new, new emerging technologies. We don't know what's real. And so what's scary about that is that people, after so much of not being able to decipher if this is real, they stop caring about what's real and they just start to believe in whatever they want to believe in. And we are a world that's built on the economies of trust. And my concern with all of it is that all the things that I'm excited about have a downside. What you just described there, Jeff, is um, we're going to talk on Friday on this program about a show at Jiva. Friday, Megan? That's right. Uh, a show at Jiva now. It's called Russian Troll Farm. <laughs> and it's a comedy. It's a workplace comedy. It's pretty dark, but um, it, it absolutely takes aim at the intentional um, sort of accelerating of the process Jeff just talked about. This idea that people start to say, well, none of this matters. It becomes very nihilistic or not even nihilistic, which certainly is its own problem. But also this idea of I don't know what's real. I don't kind of care what's real. I will invent what's real. Demagogues are very good at weaponizing that. So that can have it. That can be sort of recreational enjoy, recreationally enjoyable for people. But it can be very dangerous. So the notion of what media literacy looks like has been reinvented in like four years, mm. in a way that if I if I had to write a textbook on media literacy. That's a quaint idea, a textbook. <laughs> but if I was teaching a class on media literacy now, it would be incredibly different than it was even when I started hosting this program nine years ago. Um, it is no longer about um, what we used to talk about in media literacy. It is about understanding um, the consequences, I think, of, of not knowing how to trust or um, the value of, I think, skepticism, but also trying to find a balance that is sort of healthy with all this? Because what Jeff's describing right. is not going away. It will, we'll see more of it. More. So how do we create kind of a society of people who can healthily engage with that? Does that make sense, Aaron? It, it makes total sense. And I, I think I think guidance and leadership is like a, a theme that people should be talking about in accordance with um, with AI more than ever, right? And, and I think like, let's just use the classroom example. Um, you have that moment with a lot of AI right now where people are going with ChatGPT, like, I don't want a kid to write a paper through ChatGPT. And I just talked to someone who had um, a really brilliant, um, uh, really brilliant assignment where they said, okay, I'm not going to stop you if you want to write your paper on ChatGPT. So in fact, everyone has to use ChatGPT to write a paper. And then the assignment is we're going to analyze that paper and we're going to talk about what's wrong with it and what's right with it and how you could make it better. And it's like the calculator moment, right? It's the calculator moment where you go, you, you're not going to get away from the calculator. So how do I make sure you know the foundation so that like you can count change and you can do your multiplication tables, but also you know how to very quickly use that calculator. And I think Using those simple examples, I'm going to go all the way to the opposite spectrum of, of where guidance and leadership comes in, which is that um, you're right. People can divisively use um, uh, AI to to gain power. Um, and for every one of those people, there's a lot of people who they, that's not the reality they want to live in. And I think, you know, the, what is both the benefit of AI and the downside is that if you think about how AI works, you're prompting it and it's generating, right? How you prompt it, that's the the pinnacle of guidance and leadership. Guidance and leadership is how do you prompt somebody else to bring out the best in them? And so I think- Do we have enough leadership in this realm right now? 
in in this in this room in, in this realm. The oh, realm in of this AI. realm. Um, I, I was gonna say we can in always this use room. More. That's why you guys got invited. Sorry. <laughs> no, I was, I was is there enough? Say we can always use more. Um, I, is there enough leadership out there right now that is going to make sure this is shepherded in the way that you're talking about? I I personally think, and this is where like it's it's so dangerous to make generalities, but I personally think that as a topic, we talk about in business leadership all the time, and I think. When it comes to schools, we talk about processes and systems, whereas I think what we should be talking about more is leadership on a personal level. And I, and I think like that's people want that ideal. They want what real leadership looks like, but it's it's about people's time. And so I think the ironic, um, the ironic equation here is: Do you have more time because it's freed up by the things you no longer have to do to actually then focus on being a leader, being a guiding? Um, mentor to somebody else or many people in your lives, or are you using that extra time that you have to just gain more? And I and I think like that's of course depending upon which society you're talking about and which you know especially system you're talking about that is a systematic issue. But I I personally no I don't think there's enough leadership and guidance being talked about, um, especially when we're at such an inflection point. You know with with that apathy right with not knowing what's real and what's not real. The only thing that's real is that conversation you have with a mentor where they go, I'm going to let you make this decision, but here's the, the context I'm going to give you, and here's here's some of the guiding principles I'll give you. And that's when people start to do better with their lives and, and really change the world for good. So my argument would be, you know, it, it has to be balanced with people willing to put in the time and the effort to, to want to spread real guidance and leadership so that we don't fall to one divisive individual who uses that technology for bad. Like, that's where we start to decide even if reality seems distorted all around us, what our principles are, and we pass on good principles to others. Jeff? Yeah, you know, um, you asked a really good question. Is there enough leadership in AI today to lead us to the future that Aaron's talking about? And and I think um, what's really challenging about that is that, you know, so much of the leadership in the current AI ecosystem, Sam Altman, Peter Thiel, uh, Elon Musk, you know, those are the folks that founded OpenAI, by the way, which is the found, which is the, the company that created ChatGPT and Dolly, um, some of the most popular AI tools, chatbot tools today, and, and generative tools. Um, you know, they started it with the premise of we're going to make OpenAI accessible for everyone. We're going to share our patents. We're going to share our algorithms. We're going to do everything out and open, so that because every one of those people were scared of what AI was going to become, and so that was the genesis of what OpenAI was. Today, they actually have created a limited profit company because they realize that in order to attract the best engineers, in order to attract the best leaders, uh, to create the best AI systems, to live up to this mission of an open AI thing, they needed to have, they needed to raise capital. Yes. Right? Pay right. them well. Right. Yep. You need to pay them well. And and so part of that was giving uh, employees stock into the company and so on and so forth. I think to directly answer your question, um, like the... San I, I don't, I don't know how to qualify good leadership and bad leadership yet. The reason for that is because exactly what Aaron's saying is true, that you talked about democracy in the beginning of this conversation, uh, Evan. You know, open AI, when they released ChatGPT, that was not supposed to be released. It was within two weeks, Sam Altman and, and others decided, hey, we want to get this chat system, we want to get our chatbot out so that we can essentially beat the competition. Um, so they released ChatGPT, which is a 3.5 version of GPT. They were actually working on GPT-4, which was a much more enhanced version, which will come out sometime this year, they say. The, the challenge to that is that um, what I'm concerned about with leadership is that Sam Altman, the, the reason that he did that was because he believes that 
this these tools should be in the hands of everyone, not just the leaders in tech, not just techies, not just people that he wants to democratize the ability to use these tools to then, you know, by process of using, figure out the he rules said, and regs. If these are coming and they are coming, correct. We're not going to concentrate them in just the hands of the powerful. Let's get let's right, give right. it to everyone. Now that's and that's so that's what he says. There's business implications to that. And like I just said, they released it to get ahead of the competition. So it's not truly altruistic. Um, so some people are in the mindset of democratize AI tools so that we can kind of get data and then learn how people want to use it from moral values, all those kind of things. Then there's other people that think, okay, no, it should be a closed system because these tools are dangerous, as seen by the conversation by Kevin and Sydney and him falling in love, the AI falling in love with them. They can be dangerous, and in the wrong, like I, in the wrong hands, that could be very bad. So I don't know the right or wrong answer between democratization and the hands of the knowledgeable and few. But what, one of the things I, that I think you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, is so if we think about the financial crash of 08, 09, mm-hmm. one of the things we heard a lot of, and not just in Michael Lewis's books, was that the people getting rich on Wall Street, you know, the smartest minds got attracted to the firms that could pay the most. And so they created very complex instruments that the regulators struggled with. And one of the reasons the regulators struggled with is those were the people who didn't get those high paying jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, so right. they they went to the regulating agencies where they got paid a lot less, but at least they had a job. So it wasn't and I'm oversimplifying. I don't mean to insult any regulators out there. <laughs> I'm trying to draw one example. And and the overall framework of this example is you want the brightest minds and sometimes you have to pay. Because if you right. don't, the brightest minds get attracted Correct. to do and we're really creating too many good bad binaries, but right, right. I, I, which I get, but I'm trying to simplify yeah, here. Because yeah. when we look to the future of AI, what I want as someone who's not in tech, if I'm going to live in this world and my kids are going to live in this world, I want the brightest minds paid well to work on regulation may not be the right word, but but the creation in a way that has an eye on not just speed and, you know, um, blank around and find out, but yep. but that cares about impact. So maybe that is way too kind of puffy of you and it's not realistic, but I hope that the smartest people are paid really well on platforms that care about these values. Is that happening, you think, Jeff? The, the, the scariest part is that I don't know, and no one does, okay. right? Money money is such a, to your point, money makes the world go round. You need to get, you know, I, I literally, when OpenAI first started, they had the brightest AI engineers and researchers come to OpenAI and, and refuse two to three X what they were making at other places or offers that they had to go work for OpenAI because of the mission okay. around making us like a, an open AI platform safest for humans kind of thing. Um, as time goes on, greed often wins in humanity right and yep, so that true. is always a concern is that um see the, the i think the one of the bigger fears i have is that we're talking about humans creating the ai systems and whatever my bigger fear is when ai starts to create the ai yep that's when it really hits the fan because it becomes exponentially faster the top when when the ai can do what the top AI researchers and engineers do in the country, which will happen when AI gets that good, maybe it is already, and then can start to engineer itself. Well, then what happens is what took 
five years before now takes a year and then the next gen ai takes six months and the next gen ai takes a month and the next so then exponentially and we're not in control anymore and then we are in control because one of the one of the scary parts about being in control and i know i'm supposed to be the optimist but i'm pragmatic um <laughs> one of the things about being in control is that if you give ai that's why it's so important the programming if you give ai systems a this is your task your task is to uh, write this book. If you don't put parameters on the values of that, or, or like, that's why the paperclip example. Comes that's up. why the paper. Yep. It's right because like if if I say your job is to go get coffee, well if that's the only job that that thing does, and there's and it needs to cross the street, but there's a child walking across the street and it has the ability to run that child over. Well, if all I need to get all I'm told to do is get coffee, I don't care that I run the child over. I don't care that I spent fifty dollars on that coffee. I don't like humans have the ability to think of context. Right. If AIs aren't programmed with context or the right context or morally correct context or whatever you want to call it that's the danger okay yeah so, so a question for both of you to extend on that i think both of you feel if we're going to use the word inevitable mm -hmm. that it is inevitable that ai will be creating itself or improving itself in ways that we can't really immediately understand and that we're going there so it takes six years now and then it'll take three years to jeff's example then a year and then six months and three months and all the the hockey stick that's where we're going if you both agree that that's inevitable and that's maybe not that far away, then why are you optimistic that we will live alongside AI that is sort of self-generating or creating? And if, even if we can't understand it very well, but that will be a social good that will be good for us, that, that will result in overall benefit. I'll clarify my optimism <clears throat> with uh, pragmatism for a second. Um, I think it's really dangerous. No, you're supposed to turn me. I'm not turning you guys. <laughs> no, no, no. I will, I'll, I'll, tur I'll turn you. Don't, yeah. you, don't you worry. Yeah. Um, but, but I think you know it's really good for all of us to, to uh, I think, speak about our concerns. And I think, like to say, to say that everything will be good is not, I think, at all where my optimism lies. I think, like, there's not a single thing that's ever been invented in the history of humanity that like doesn't have some bad story behind sure. it too, right? And, um, and, and a great use and a horrible use. And I, and I think, like, um. I think with generative AI, the it, we we almost have to simplify to what it is. What's the prompt? And I think like the prompt for me is how are how are people prompting to use it? And I think for every um, bad scenario, which could have you know worldwide implications, and and I don't want to underestimate that. Um, on a daily basis, there's going to be hundreds of scenarios where we're going to look back and be like, you know, the classic technology. Like, how do we ever you know? do without this thing, um, you know, thank heaven I have time to do this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. Or, thank, you know, thankfully this allowed me to do this. And I think, like, when we talk about the hockey stick, we talk about Moore's Law of Exponentiality. Um, I, I think there's, there's um, Jeff brought up a really good point about um, the fact that you have to put those parameters in. You have to prompt it well. And when we talk about regulation or we talking, when we talk about, um, uh you know, I think everyone goes to this kind of doomsday thing where it's like one AI takes down the whole grid and takes down the whole. It's you know, like too many people would lose money to let that happen, right? Like because the so AI you don't would see ha that happening. Some hacker one day is absolutely going to try to prompt an AI to create some insane tool that's going to shut down the grid because you know, um, uh, because hackers love that stuff, right? Like it's it's just a thing. But like, you know, it'll be some college kid too who's extremely smart, and then we'll get the best job ever out of it. But like. Um, the, but I think the, the, the real fact of the matter is, and, and going back to the example of medicine and going back to the examples of, um, I think even learning in general, 
when we talk about what's real, what's real is with our current understanding of the world. And I think what we're entering into, and this is not optimism, this, this, is, this, is, this is inevitable, as Jeff put it, we're entering into a world that will have different rules. And we're entering into a world that will have different implications. And when we talk about AI that can regenerate itself, we're talking about in medicine, not just the implication of these tools are now able to reach this far away. We're talking about, we have this conversation all the time in medicine, which is preventative medicine versus, um, you know, versus treating symptoms, right? And, you know, it's hard to have preventative medicine and preventative um, attitudes towards medicine in a country where your doctor doesn't even have enough time to see you for more than 10 minutes and look at your chart that, you know, was just looked at five minutes ago and actually like ask you the right questions to, to get a holistic view of your body. When, you know, we have these portals now online that have a lot of our information, but what are we doing with that information? Right. And, and so when I think about medicine, I think about the idea that like, if you really want preventative medicine, you could have an AI actually do full assessments of all the data it's getting from all these different things. And you could have like pings the same way we have notifications on our phone of like all the things you should be looking out for, all the different things that like you should be aware aware of and ideas and, you know, cool thoughts like that tool alone, you're welcome, whoever I just made a billion dollars is, is <laughs> like, it takes one thing like that to, to, to change the whole course of humanity's quality and length of life. On the other hand, of course, societally, we're going to have issues. Money motivates so much, but from a regulation standpoint, I think that there are going to be some things that get put in play, no more than we see today, where we have people that are insanely rich and a lot of working middle class and a lot of poverty. But you're going to have regulations put in place because at the end of the day, humans are going to put the prompt in place that stops that person or that, that AI from you know running over a, a child in the middle of the street because we as humans don't believe in that, right? And so I think like uh, optimistically, I think the majority of the world, I can't speak for all the world, but the majority of the world is going to band together to make sure that parameters are put in place so that the worst doesn't happen on a daily basis. Um, by the way, I, on the subject of medicine, I can't even dream of a future. I mean, I've, uh, I've seen so much cancer and so much destructive healthcare outcomes in what is ostensibly the golden age of medicine. The golden age has not arrived yet. And this is, if we can hang on with all the rest of the, avoid the dystopian stuff, I think AI is going to give us the, the real golden age of medicine. I'm, I, I'm very optimistic about that. Totally. Well, yeah. and, and even just to add on to what you're, you're saying you know, about, about cancer, we know all the reasons that people get cancer now. We have all the data to support all the things that can lead up to it. And yet, we're still in a world where we go to the doctor once we have a symptom. And that's when we find out we have cancer and that's when we get treated, right? But like that, you know, that's a, a big mixture of technologies di diagnostically and from an AI standpoint, right? A, a lot of software that has to be, you know, that has to be generated. But at the same time, it's like, to, to Jeff's point of exponentiality, version one is coming, version two is coming, version three is coming very quickly after that. I think in our lifetime, we're going to see a world where you have every tool at the palm of your hand to prevent anything that's going to bad, ha you know, happen bad in, in your health. You just have to like take action on it. That's up to you. Yeah. But it's not going to be like, oh man, I didn't realize for 40 years I've been doing this with the one thing wrong. And based on my family history, this is like now where I'm at. And Jeff, your in-laws in Finland, how, um, how soon do you think we could see the kind of tools that you're talking about that allow you to have real-time conversations instantly translated? They exist. They exist um, yeah. I, I have a I have a pair of headphones that um, I can put in, and it uh, and if they share the thing, it will they'll talk, and it'll immediately give me um, a translation on my phone. There's some two way dialogue options. It exists. It's just um, it 
it, that wasn't even done by AI, though. It was just, uh, I mean, not the AI we're talking about. Right? Uh, how That's, long until what you're sort of describing yeah, yeah. exists? Um, Our lifetime? 100%. A, ten a, years? 1,000%. Um, ten years, yes, I believe. I mean, that specific example, for sure, five years, three years. Um, I mean, it's it's already it's so amazing. close. Just because, I mean, you can see, look at some of the tech that exists now where uh, you can record a snippet of your voice and then create a script, and then that will read in your voice. I, mean, I that am exists teaching today. my 10-year-old Spanish. Is that a waste of time? No, no, because I think going back to what Aaron said earlier, it's I think what learning will become. I think what will be important about learning is is learning will, the foundations of what learning is and rethinking about the building blocks of learning. I, I love the calculator analogy, and I use that with my wife actually, who is terrified of all of this. Uh, oh, she by is. The way. Oh, very much. She does not. She wants to live in like the without all the bad stuff, like the fifties. You know. So um, there, I, I would say that we're in a place now. Where we are, we have these tools that are gen, gen one, and because of the exponentialism, uh, we will see very quickly gen two, gen three, all those things come about, and the utility of them will be great. I think that we'll always have a human void of how do we like how do we learn because the calculator tool is. I can put it in any calculation and the tool, I'll put it in Google and like a super complex and I'll put it in Google and it'll give me the answer in two seconds. But still school systems don't work that way, right? We're still taught on like the theory of math and addition and subtraction and all those things. My kid's going through it now. And so uh, I think that's still gonna be important. Like learning how to learn a language is important. And by the way, it's not a waste of time because they don't they're not here today right like i think no, there's another there's another piece of that that like we I have to you. we have to live for today um and just to go back to to your question for aaron i just want to make a point around optimism i think in order to be optimistic about anything you need to believe in humanity you need to believe that humans overall are good uh at, at its at its base level there's there's people that aren't there's people that do bad things I believe that I'm optimistic because, you know, we've had nuclear weapons for a long time. We're still around. Uh, we have cyber uh, there. We have incredible hackers that exist on the Internet. The banking systems are still around. There's hacks. There's there's bombs. There's things that happen. Uh, but a humanity still exists because I think we hold each other accountable to the fact that we want to continue going. We all have interests, whether that's money or, or children or future or whatever the thing is. I think in order to be an optimist in general in life, you have to believe that humans want those yeah, things. Yeah, and I, I think I've been reading a lot of Tim Urban lately, mm -hmm. and and I think he is very effective at distilling this in. We are reaching a point now with tech where – we can achieve heights that we've never achieved in medicine and in, in longevity of life, in quality of life, um, but we also can do damage that we have never been able to do before. And there is a precarious uh, edge there that we've got to learn to walk, so we have to be intentional about that. Um, and so I would encourage anybody to kind of read Tim's stuff. He's, he's a really interesting thinker. Um, and I think and to that point, I like, try not to look at the side that says, woo, woo, that's a long fall. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And I think to that point, it's it. Then it goes back to the democratization, the democratization of it all. Right. It's it's about the um, uh, what's equally as exciting and concerning is that everyone's going to have access to these tools because today programming like ChatGPT understands programming languages so before if you wanted to create a website you wanted to create an app you have to learn programming right you have to learn code you have to learn how to build these things in very specific languages now ChatGPT, that i just heard a really great quote the new programming language will be english 
right? Because mm -hmm. all that we need to do is say to ex say what we want to existence, and that will be so much easier to create. So to your point around the ability to do really great things to a level that we've never been able to do and really bad things, everyone's going to have more of an opportunity to do both. So it's about, you know, do you believe in humanity coming through and, and creating guidelines and things that will, you know, some guardrails that will help or not? Um, I have to take our only break, and then we're going to take your phone calls and feedback for Jeff Knaus, who's an entrepreneur, an angel investor, a restaurateur, obviously a very interesting thinker. Aaron Gordon, founder and CEO of Optic Sky Productions, co-founder and COO of Synapse Virtual Production. Um, as we go to break, I'm thinking about democratization. It's interesting. Um, as Sean Illing has written, technology is pretty anti-democratic. We don't really have a kind of a, a capacity. We haven't exhibited a capacity to stop it. So television came, it came, uh, the internet came, uh, smartphone technology came. Now AI is advancing very quickly. And you may sit there and be like, I don't want this. I want to live in the, the kind of the good side of the 50s. But it's not very democratic. It's probably coming. And so what I want to do is engage and understand what that means. The, the yes democratic side is what Jeff describes. Um, there are people working to make sure that if these tools exist, they're not only going to be in the hands of powerful people or those who have the most money or the most access. So um, some interesting ideas there. Let's get to the other side of this break, and we'll get some of your feedback on this. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with local conservatives about how they see the direction of the Republican Party. Former South Carolina governor and former ambassador Nikki Haley is running for president. And she said at the conservative political action conference this past weekend, it's time for her party to choose. Doesn't want to move forward and get younger. Doesn't want to stay mired in the past. We'll talk about it next hour. This is Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Um, we may be entering an age where lifespans are about to get a lot longer. And maybe 80 years from now, the three of us will be sitting here in the same studio having a conversation going, remember when we talked about ChatGPT? That was quaint. We'll probably feel that way in about a year with ChatGPT. So I want to put a disclaimer. I get it. This is the early iteration of this technology, and the hockey stick is happening. But at the same time, this is the spring after a lot of winter and a lot of, is it going to work? Is it going to work? The reason we're talking about this now is in the last six to 12 months, it's been like, oh my God, it works. And look, so Aaron and I were talking during the break and, you know, I was musing that Kevin Roos of the New York Times when Sydney, right, from mm -hmm. Bing was, mm -hmm. uh, this AI uh, program was telling him to leave his wife. It, it was responding to prompts, and it probably knew that he – it knew – I'm putting in air quotes – it knew that it was meant to be provocative or – there were prompts that indicated he was – Roos was looking for certain things. And Kevin Roos didn't take that that comment from the AI and went, oh, my gosh, I should leave my wife. He was more like, wow, um, what's going on here? But when I talk about media literacy, yep. uh, you know, an another writer wrote a piece how in three days she had developed – what felt like a real relationship with a with an AI chatbot and shut it down and felt like it was kind of a breakup. And she knew that this was a kind of a thought experiment and it still felt emotionally tangible. Yeah. So that's already happening. People are going to develop relationships with non-human entities. I, I know you consider it a form of intelligence, but we should... I don't know that that's necessarily automatically bad, you know, again, to kind of oversimplify a word, 
But we got to talk about it before we jump into that because like people can develop real emotional connections and up highs and lows emotionally, right? Totally. Well, I, I think there's a few examples I have to illustrate to like illustrate my point of view on this, right? One, our best friends are dogs, right? Is a classic phrase. <laughs> like a human's best friend is a dog. And why is that, right? They they essentially both emulate and um, requite our, our feelings, right? They're, they, they display empathy and they uh, display a lot of emotion that we're still learning to understand. Um, but they don't talk back to us in English or in Spanish or any other language and say, I love you. You look them in the eyes and you just, you feel it. And half the time they could just be saying, I don't know if you know this, but I'm really hungry right now, <laughs> right? But we love them, right? And and um, uh, and then I think another example that I, I think to, to tie this all together I want to bring up is like AOL, like, like AIM back in the day, like instant messaging. When we talk about someone who is chatting over the internet and getting prompted to like leave their wife, I mean, we have to always remember that we're seeing a reflection of humanity in this. These prompts have come from conversations that have existed in real life. And all we're doing is we're just projecting onto the AI itself. And, you know, there's the argument, there's, it's intelligence, no question. But is it, you know, is it a human soul, right? Is it, is it a human being? No. That, you know, regardless of whatever spiritualism or scientific theory we talk about, the fact of the matter is, that all this is based off of us projecting our own selves onto a technology. And so we're going to see the best in humanity, the worst in humanity, come out in a way that, if anything, we have a really unique opportunity for once to not justify by saying, oh, that person's a bad person. Oh, that per Like, we're looking at humanity bottled up in a technology every single time we inter interact with it. And so if there's a, a negative aspect of humanity that we should address, we should look no further than what the prompts are that we're getting back or the, the message that we're getting back to go, oh, maybe this is a topic we should address as a society, right? Like, like rather than it being like, this is a, a thing we should address as a society, but no, that's just a bad human. That doesn't represent humanity in the best way. So that, I mean, all that to say, I think humans can befriend anything. I think humans can love anything, right? It depends upon what your criteria is for what you feel like a relationship is. But I also think a lot of what happens in relationships and a lot of what happens, you know, romantic or friendships or with pets is that you, um, you look at a mirror. You look at a mirror and you go, do I like what I see in that mirror? That's part of what, you know, actually helps me love this relationship. Or do you, you know, project something different and you go, oh, wow, that's actually bringing out the worst in me. That's bringing out the best in me. You know, it's it's that type of thing where you're you're actually empathizing as much with yourself as you are with those, you know, the, the people around you. And I think we are looking at a giant reflection of ourselves. And it's just a little bit of an inflection point. All right. Let's get to your phone calls. Nick and Webster. Hi, Nick. Go ahead. Hey there. You know, I uh, don't mean to put a damper on anything. It's all good. But what I'm missing is hearing about the other AI, which is uh, artificial ignorance. And it's it's not the ignorance of a robot that goes across the street and doesn't see the kid, because that's just his programming. But it's the ignorance of applying information. It's it's uh, it, the numbers aren't ignorance. It's it's the application of things that could be ignorant. And that's something you wouldn't know for generations or thousands of years. If you took artificial intelligence and applied it to, say, evolution from a million years ago, you could end up with the different things that we have now. You know, you, there are different solutions than having a giraffe grow a longer neck so that it can find the leaves on the top, you know, or, or other biological things that happened. And the 
our our world would be quite different with that kind of intelligence instead of the research and development of a million years of evolution. And and you just don't know what it is. And when you talk about the relationship, that's that's a, a good example because we have emotional needs that want to be met and we often you know, evaluate whether something is good or not by, by how it makes us feel. And that's not a reliable thing either, of course, because technology has changed us so much in a thousand years, but we haven't grown much intellectually in a thousand years. We haven't kept up intellectually, I don't think, with, with that in a thousand years that our technology has, has brought us. So if we don't even have a word for ignorance as it applies to this kind of artificial intelligence in English, you can't have intelligence without ignorance. Well, a lot there, Nick. I'll start with Aaron. What do you think? There's definitely a lot to unpack there. I think that um, I think it's totally true. I mean, there's always two sides to the coin. I think Jeff and I have both both touched on that. I, I think that there's always ignorance where there is an intelligence. I, I think that. Um, ignorance is just as much a human trait as anything else. And, you know, once again, going back to artificial intelligence is created with our data in mind, right? So it's it's using our data as a species right now and, and gathering data from all around the world of our actions. It's not gathering a draft's actions. And so as far as where it goes next, it, it for better or for worse, is, is led by our history and our decisions. And so this just goes back to, I guess, what I was saying earlier with guidance and leadership, which is like, the only way you can fight off ignorance is, is to fight it off the same way we always have as a species, which is to, to actually have our actions reflect something of a better moral quality and um, of a better mentorship. Um, that then gets reflected in the data that then is used for the AI, right? And, and so I think the only way to distinguish between intelligence and ignorance is, is going to be that and, and you know, media literacy also is, is a huge topic within that. I think the other point that I would... I would unpack within what you just said, Nick, is, um, you know, ignorance is not always black and white, to be honest about it. I, I think I think that's probably one of the problems that we have with using that term or the term intelligence. I think we always, always make jokes about intelligence as a term, but um, ignorance is not exactly a black and white thing. What one person calls ignorant, another person grown up in a very different society might actually not say the same thing. And so um, I think... Once again, these are the conversations that now more than ever we should be having because we're essentially defining moral code that goes into literal code, you know, and, and that's that's justifying a lot of actions that will happen in the next hundred years. Yeah. Um, Jeff, if you want to weigh in on that, uh, an extension of that, Michael emails to say, we are at a crisis point in history regarding the use of disinformation and propaganda for political gain. Given a traditionally lucrative use of disruptive new technology has been to create new weapons, how do we show more than just concern? How do we prepare remediative strategies to deal with possible devastating consequences to come? That's a, that's a big one. Um, and, and I agree. Uh, you know, to stay on the, I can kind of hopefully speak to both for a second here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> to speak to the ignorance piece, uh, I think something that goes hand in hand with ignorance is bias. So you want to talk about political yes. bias, you talk about, you know, personal belief bias. Um, 
you know, and that's showing up already in the AI. I mean, if you follow what Elon Musk recently just uh, said, is that he's going to create a what he called based uh, AI uh, because he feels that the AI that ChatGPT, OpenAI, which he helped to found, uh, is too quote unquote woke. And so I think that um, you know the ultimate ignorance, of course, is is racism and all these things and it's a human flaw seeing somebody else's skin color as a deficiency right and so um i think that but but to what aaron said all the program is based on what humans have written and documented and done right um and you know to talk about sydney for a second like sydney the S- sydney is a, a, a listener's asking for a definition real quick so oh, sydney sh- is sure so sydney is the code name to chat uh, when bing implemented chat gpt into its search engine uh their code name for as they were developing ChatGPT was Sydney. And so she was, uh, Sydney was exposed to this really deep conversation that this writer had with uh, the AI. And that's how Sydney, the personality of Sydney came out and then fell in love with uh, the writer, supposedly, because um, the writer had asked some questions. And the, the AI actually said, The reason that I love you is because you're the first person to ever ask me these questions. And I feel deeply that, um, you know, that, you, that I love you now because you care about me. And it's a different kind of conversation. That's why. She has to leave the wife, right? And so, yeah. but all all of that's because it's read, you know, t- tons of tra- terabytes of data that you know of stories of AI coming to life and falling in love with people. Like it's not, it's it's because of predictive uh, language, this big language model, and that's why that happened. And so. That's why bias exists in AI is because it's us. Adam, Aaron said it very well is that it's a representation of humanity and that's where ignorance and bias comes from. So in terms of weaponizing political, I think, first of all, yeah, we have to be very cautious and scared of that because it's a thing already that exists. And all AI is is an accelerator to everything. AI is an accelerator to good. It's an accelerator to bad. It's an accelerator to medicine. It's an accelerator to uh, political division, unfortunately. And so, I, you know, I'll give you a specific example. There are videos that exist right now of every former president saying some really terrible stuff that exists on the Internet. And the video, the sound of their voice, everything looks so realistic that many people would believe that the president is saying some imagine something horrible. He or she, he, in this case, he never said those things, uh, but it was based on AI. So, so those tools will be used. All I think, really, all that we can do to kind of put a bow on that is um, educate people that this is not, you know, don't believe everything you see, which is a concern because then it goes back to, well, how do I decipher? Right. Do I have enough? You know, do I have? How are you skeptical without tinfoil? Co- yeah. Correct. Right. That's exactly right because tinfoil can go both ways, yeah. as we've seen in in the media. You know, the media division, and so um, it's it, there's no easy answer to the the person that texted in. Well, we, we've got to teach media literacy early. I wish I would ask these guys to be here for both hours. So I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap with a really we're gonna wrap where we started. Jeff, what percentage chance do you think it is that we're in a simulation? Uh, realistically, my wife hates us, by the way. Um, I think realistically, 65%. 70%. (laughs) Like, seriously? No, I'm dead. I think it's more likely that we are, statistically, just because of AI, yes. I would have landed right at 67%. uh, Just to to be, overly specific, yeah, it would have been like 67%. Two to one chance that we're actually in a simulation. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Can we, can we just like do an hour on that sometime? Yeah. Love to. Anytime. Don't tell your wife. I won't. She's not going to listen to any of this. She's (laughs) terrified already. (laughs) 
the goal is to be less terrified. Yeah? It's all good stuff. There's really good things coming. It's I'm good very things excited. Coming. There are. We're the most comfortable you've ever been as a species overall. It's a, there's net positives coming. There, we have never been more. Uh, We've never had more opportunity in front of us yeah. as, as humankind. There's a whole Never. entrepreneurship component to it that we didn't cover today, which is like... They're just going to keep talking. Anyway, that's Jeff <laughs> and Aaron. We can go all day. All day. <laughs> Optic Sky Productions and Synapse for Aaron. Jeff's got a variety of things going on. We'll talk to them again. More connections coming up.